0: Well, good afternoon and welcome to Second City. My name's uh, Jez Deeringly, pastor of uh, Second City. And um, we welcome you to this series in the Psalms, which we're calling God, Are You There? Prayers for Every Seasons of the Soul. And uh, each of the Psalms that we're looking at helps us to trust God in difficult times. The theologian and reformer Martin Luther writes this about the Psalms. He says, This, the greatest thing in the Psalter is is this earnest speaking amongst the storms, the storm winds of every kind. There There does one find finer words of joy than in the Psalms of praise and thanksgiving. There you look into the hearts of all the saints as in fair and pleasant gardens. On the other hand, Where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the psalms of lament? There again, you look into the heart of all the saints. And today we are looking at one of those psalms on lament, Psalm uh, 44, a prayer when God is silent. And in this psalm is one of those psalms where um, it's almost like the end is missing. Um, there, there's no answer from God, and you're left wondering how does God answer the prayer of the psalmist? And the situation the psalmist finds himself in is quite uh, frightening, disturbing and perplexing, much like the days that we're living in now. It says that it's written by the sons of Korah, which means ultimately we don't know who wrote it. And we don't know the exact circumstances or its time of composition. What we do know is that the nation of Israel had experienced a great military defeat and they had become the laughingstocks amongst the nations. And um, what we know is that the author is crying out to God because he doesn't understand why God has not been with them at this time as he'd been in the past. Now again, I don't know what situation you've been in or whether this resonates with any time in your life where maybe there's just a situation that's come up and you haven't understood it and you've cried out for God. Maybe it's been a lost job or a broken relationship or or maybe it it has been um, some situation in in the world where uh, you're struggling to understand, God, why have you not acted? Why have you not responded in this? Why have you not spoken to me or to the world and given us an answer? Well, The silence of God is perhaps one of the most scary and frightening experiences. What do we do? How do we proceed when God is is silent? Do we withdraw into fear? Do we give up hope? Well, that is certainly a temptation. But this psalm shows us another way. It opens up to us a way to pursue God in the midst of his silence. And so I'm going to be looking at four things uh, today. The first thing I'm going to be looking at is... Well, sorry, in terms of the big picture, we're gonna be looking at how does God how how do we as Christians pursue God when when he is silent? The first thing we'll look at is we need to root ourselves in faith. That means as we as we look at this passage, we're gonna see the psalmist looking back to the past and reminding himself and the nation of what God has done, acknowledging what is true. Second thing we're gonna look at is a pouring out of the soul. That in this psalm, he looks at the present and, and the psalmist just pours out. It um, doesn't try to sort of make it nice and neat and tidy. He just pours out his soul to God. Third thing that we're going to see is that we should cry out again in prayer, that we shouldn't give up because we're not heard from God, but we should persist in prayer. And that, that is the psalm looking to the future. Um, and so we cry out to God to help. And then fourthly, and finally, we wait, just like the psalmists wait. So we're going to look at those things in order. Okay. So, how do we pursue God while well, we root ourselves in faith? Or to say it another way, we acknowledge what we know to, to be true. The opening lines of this song, you'd ex- uh, from this psalm, you'd expect, uh, you wouldn't expect this from a psalm of lament, because the. The psalmist is recounting and regaling God's great work on behalf of the nation of Israel. He says, God, you have, you, we have heard with our ears, oh, our, our fathers have told us what deeds you have performed in their day, in the days of old. The psalmist is speaking to himself what is true in the midst of puzzlement. He doesn't know what's going on. Interestingly, I was listening to uh, a, a podcast by Tim Keller on Psalm 42, where he shares a quote from Martin Lloyd Jones about spiritual depression as it relates to Psalm 42. But I think the quote is really quite helpful for understanding our text that we are reading this afternoon. And Martin Lloyd Jones says, th- says this Notice the psalmist addressing himself, he talks to himself. Therein he discovers the cure. The main problem with the whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. David, in effect, says, Self, listen for a moment to what I've got to say to you. Why are you so downcast? The main art in this matter of spiritual living is knowing how to handle yourself, question yourself, preach to yourself. You must remind yourself who God is, what God has done and what God has promised to do. This is in essence, this is the essence of the treatment in a nutshell. We must understand that this self of yours, this other man within us has got to be handled. Do not listen to him turn on him, speak to him, remind him of what he knows. So rather than listening to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you, you must take control. And so here the psalmist, like in Psalm 42, takes hold of himself and reminds himself of what is true, reminds himself of who God is and what God has done, and he recounts all these things that God has done just to root himself in the reality of the current situation. The problem, as Martin lloyd Joe says, is that in the midst of emotions, in the midst of the circumstance, we can be blown around like trees in the wind. And we don't know if we're coming or we're going. And left to ourselves, our own feelings will lead us one way or they'll lead us another way. But when God is silent, we need to know what is true. And the psalmist does this in two ways. First of all, he remembers the distant past. He remembers what God has done. He talks about it as the fathers have told them of old. He recounts the old stories of redemption for the people of Israel. He says this in verses 2 and 3. You with your own hand drove out the nations... But with them talking about Israel, you plant, you planted. So you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not our own, for not by our own swords did we win the land, nor by our own arm sa- save them. But your right hand, your your arm, and the light of your face, for you delight in them. And so the psalmist remembers God's work in the past, in in the work. redemption he says look you kept your promises you were faithful to your people you won battles on their behalf this particularly seems to be referencing the time where they entered the promised land where God on their behalf crushed their enemies so he looks back to the redemptive story of God in the nation of Israel in the Exodus and into the promised land, but then he changes in verse three and four, so four to eight, to reflect on his own personal experience of God's work. It's almost like he's saying, "This is what you did in the past, and I, I know it to be true. I know that you've been faithful, that you're a faithful God, because not only in the past, but in the in in in, in the near past, you've been working in our lives." And he talks in the, in, in the um, personal sense here, of himself, but also also of the nation. He says, you are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob, for not my bow do I trust, nor my sword shall save. So the psalmist has a sense of personal experience that God has been with them. He reminds himself that God is a God who keeps his promises who has defended them and protected them verse 7 and 8 it says but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us in god you have in god we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever verse 8 is interesting because really it gives us in a in a nutshell the 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 the, the puzzlement and perplexion that the psalmist finds himself in. He's saying, I've personally experienced, our nation has personally experienced your hand. You have saved us. You have to put to shame our enemies, and we have boasted in you, and we will continue to, to boast in you. And so he looks, um, he, he talks of past boasting in the past but praising in the future so one thing that we see here is the psalmist is totally rooted in his faith in god he by the end of this the, these first eight verses he's quite clear i know that i can trust you god But that's why this makes it more perplexing why have you not answered us Why have you not met us in these circumstances? Why have we been brought to shame by our enemies at this time? And we'll look at what he says about the situation that he finds himself in. But maybe just a couple of uh, bits of application for us of the importance of passing down stories. First of all, we should be a people that pass down stories of God's work in our life to Um, to to one another, and particularly if we have children to pass down to our children. I just um, think of the story uh, that I often tell Boaz. He he now rolls his eyes and goes, oh, not that one again. Um, But I tell him of the story where myself and Joe had been waiting for seven years to have have children, and we thought uh, that we would never have children. And uh, we had tried some various interventions, and they came to naught, and so we were just coming to terms that probably we wouldn't have any children at all. And then the last chance of, um, um, of, 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 of this medication working, Joe got pregnant with Boaz. And I talked to him like, you're a, you a miracle, you're an answer to prayer. God has met us in our need. I pass down that story to him so that he can know God is real, God is at work, he's working now and he's working in our lives. And the same is true of one another. testimonies of God's work are powerful. They're powerful to one another and they're powerful to our, our, our friends who don't know Jesus. Why? Because it, may, it, it gives a tangible evidence that God is alive, that he's ruling and reigning, that he can be trusted, that his promises are true. And regardless of the situation we find ourselves, they root us in the reality of who God is, what he's done and what he's going to do. So we pass down our stories and pass around our stories to one another. But also we pass down his story. It's, it's important for us to keep on reminding ourselves in the place where God is silent and we, we don't know what's going on and we don't have the answer. And it doesn't seem to be coming quick quickly to us. That we will remind ourselves what is true in terms of redemption. What has he done for us? Who are we now because of what he has done? Because again, like I said, we can be blown around um, by the wind of our own feelings one way and another way. We need to be rooted. And this is what the psalmist does. He roots himself in the history of redemption and, and the history of his own experience of God's faithfulness to him. So the first thing that we should do in the midst when God is like, we should state what is true to ourselves. We should remind ourselves of the faith that we have in God, the trust that we have in God. Then the second thing that we come to is that we see the psalmist pouring out his soul. And so whilst we don't let our hearts and our inner feelings define the reality, we are encouraged to pour out our soul. Keller says this is a kind of godly version of getting to, into touch with your feelings. And the theologian Mobley says this, The predominance of laments at the very heart of Israel, Israel's prayers means that the, problem, the problems that arise to the laments are not something marginal or something unusual, but rather central to life and faith. The experience of anguish and puzzlement in life and faith is not a sign of the deficient faith, something to be outgrown or to be put behind us, but one that is intrinsic to the very nature of faith. So the reality that these situations come along where uh, even though we trust in God, we don't know the answer. God seems to be silent and we don't understand fully his work. Um, This is fairly normal to the Christian faith, and we should not see it as something where we lack faith. So pouring out our soul is a way of processing our feelings in times of distress, determining what is true about them. And I don't know if you notice here, but the psalmist does not hold back at all. And God creates space for us not to hold back, to say how we feel. We're not saying that this is true. We're not even saying that this is the the, the reality of the situation. But we're expressing, God, this is how I feel in this situation. This is how um, this situation is making, uh, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the way that I'm responding in this situation. Now, again, I'm not talking about having no, no self-control about over our emotions and then just blasting God with our anger. But when we have thought about it and when, when, when we have these feelings and we, we just need to share them with someone, I mean, we have, basically we have two options with our feelings. We either press them in on themselves and define them as reality or we express them outwards to God and say, you weigh them, you test them, you show me which ones of these are true and correct. And so in verse 9, the psalmist moves from recounting, You've been with us, you're a great God, um, uh, we're going to praise you, uh, we're we boasting what you've done in the past, we're going to praise you. Then he says, But now, but now. And there's two parts to this there's a complaint, and then there's a question or a defense. Let's just take the complaint, verses 9 to 17. Listen to these words. Again, he does not hold back at all. He said, "'But you have rejected us and disgraced us, "'and have have not gone out with your armies. "'You have made us turn back from our foes, "'and those who hate us have taken the spoils. "'You have made us like sheep of the slaughter "'and have scattered us among the nations.' You have sold us, your people, for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbours, deri- the, the derision and the scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the ma- nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. You have made us retreat before the enemies, and our adversaries plunder us. And then verses 17... He talks about the disgrace that's covered the, with shame and reproach by their, by their enemies. These are strong words. You have made us. Basically, the psalmist is saying, God, it's your fault. All this calamity that has come into us, it is your fault. You're sovereign. You're in charge. We're your people. You're supposed to be keeping your promises. Where are you, God? Why have you left us in this place? And so the psalmist expresses his complaint to God. Where are you? Where are you? So in contrast to the great victories of the past, in the, feel- in the present, the psalmist feels abandoned, let down by God, rejected by God. Again, feelings don't necessarily define reality They only define our interpretation or perception of reality and the challenge for us is always in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand is is that sometimes we don't see how God is good, how he's great, how he's glorious, how he's gracious in every situation. We don't have hindsight. We don't know whether the answer to prayer is just around the corner or whether it will never come or whether it's already come and we've missed what God has been saying to us. And so the psalmist cries out to God, not holding back, just giving it to God full blast. This is how I feel. And in this case, he's saying, God, this is down to you. But had God really abandoned them? Is this true? Well, naturally, when we think about people being rejected by God or abandoned by God, we go to the fact that, well, maybe they'd sinned. Maybe they'd done something wrong. Maybe this was their own fault. And the, the psalmist just can't see it, that he's stuck in his situation and he's just blaming everybody else apart from themselves. But it seems like in this Psalm that there is no indication that what the Psalmist says next isn't true. And so he gives a defense of himself saying, listen, God, we know that this is not linked to our our sinfulness. Uh, He says this in verse 17, all this has come upon us though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Then verse 18, your heart has not, our heart has not turned back, nor has our steps departed from your way. So here, this calamity that comes upon them is not because of their sin. The people have not turned away. Now, this doesn't mean that the people have never sinned. That's not what it's saying. But as a nation, they've, they've continued in, in the pursuit of serving Yahweh, their God, and they have not turned away to worship other gods. And too often we don't allow for the possibility that disaster or trouble or strife may strike, strike our lives even though we have not sinned. People say, well, there's no smoke without fire, but it seems in this case that there is sometimes smoke without fire. Verse 20 he says, but if we have forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? He knows the secrets of our hearts. So here, the psalmist says, God knows our hearts. He, he knows this is, is true. So we must allow the possibility in our own lives and in the lives of others that there are things that happen Suffering that comes that's not related to sin or not our own personal sin. Again, like I said earlier, we don't know, we don't find out why these circumstances took place and what God was doing in the midst of these situations for uh, the people. But we know it wasn't because of their sin. It is possible to suffer innocently, And still love God. Listen to uh, Romans 8. It says this in verse 35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? And then he quotes, The verse here in in verse 22, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So, Paul here is saying, look, things might happen to us. Tribulation will happen to us. Distress will happen to us. Persecution will happen to us. Famine will happen to us. Nakedness might happen to us. Danger or sword. These are all things that don't, uh, indicate any wrongdoing these are things that might happen to Christians and so he's right to the Romans, saying if these things are happening to you right now remember one thing none of these things can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus so suffering is not synonymous with sin well we again we know this to be true just one more example because our saviour Jesus, he suffered without sin. He was someone who cried out from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the disciples are there, um, some of them around the cross, uh, some of them are at a distance, and they couldn't work out after Jesus was dead why uh, God had forsaken uh, Jesus. And they looked back and You know, I wonder what was going through their minds. Were they thinking, well, maybe Jesus wasn't as good as he said he was. We didn't see any reason. In fact, we can't see any good reason. Sometimes there is no good reason why suffering takes place. So we cry out, we pour out our soul to God. We tell him how we feel. We, we let him know what it's like to be in this situation, and he allows space for us to do that. He allows us, uh, he, in fact, he wants us to speak to him about the reality of what it's like to be in these times. Life often leaves us with questions for God, and we don't always get the answers. And this is why it's important to first define reality before pouring out our soul. Because it leads us to have a a perspective of of reflecting and analysing on the feelings that we have. Rather than uh, stating or defining these things to be true. Okay, thirdly, we see the psalmist crying out again in prayer. One of the things that we see here is that the author, the psalmist, continues to turn to God for help. He He doesn't give up. Now, we might be tempted to say, God, where are you in this situation? We don't understand, okay, I've had it. I'm just going to go to myself. I'm going to work this out myself. But no, that's not what the psalmist do. He he turns again in verses 22 to 25 to pray to God once again to come and help them. He says this, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O God? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our afflictions and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So the psalmist has a choice. We have a choice. Do we stay in the place of hopelessness or do we continue to turn to God for help? Well, the psalmist turns to God for help, crying out, awake, why are you sleeping, O God, Re- rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Basically, he's saying something like this, you helped us in the past, you helped, You must help us now, but you are not helping us now, even though we have done nothing to prohibit you helping us, so help us. There's a persistence in his prayer. Don't give up on God when things don't make sense. Don't give up on God when things, are, uh, uh, when, when things are silent, when you don't have all the information that you need to interpret the situation that we find ourselves in. Let's remember Jesus' parable about the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Jesus taught us to continue to ask God, to be persistent in declaring our needs and our desires to God, to be repetitive, to be steadfast in our requests to God. Well, at the end of this passage, we are given two clues as to why we should remain prayerful, and also some indication of why God might not answer our prayers, both in the time and in the way in which we might want him to. It says in verse 22 and verse 26, for, for your name's sake, for the sake of your name. Sometimes there are unseen realities that as humans we just don't understand. And the psalmist seems like he understands this He's saying, not for our name, not for our nation's name, not even for our own benefit, but would you look after us for your own name, for your fame, for your glory? Sometimes God is silent or doesn't answer us because it brings glory to him not to. Or maybe God might answer our prayer in a different way than we expected, or he might want us to wait for that answer. Why? because for his name's sake, for his glory, it's better that we do so. Sometimes it's really hard for us to understand that. Not because we're just impatient, though maybe sometimes we are, but because we just don't understand his ways. And we must be humble as we come to God. Even in the midst of us crying out, it's not fair. Why have you not answered us? Why are you doing this, God? Why are you not hearing my prayer? Even in the midst of that, we need to continue to be humble, and say, like Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours. Sometimes God doesn't answer us in the way in which we want to. But what, he always works for his glory. Why? Because his glory is good for his people, and it's good for the world. The second thing that we, gives us a clue here why we should remain, uh, talks about his steadfast love. And basically, this is about the character of God. We should continue to call out to him because of his nature, because we know that he's steadfast in his love towards us, that he, 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 he wants to take care of us. He wants to look after us, that he wants our good and is working for our good, even if we can't see it. His steadfast love in the Psalms is spoken about over 150 times. Um, It's the number one characteristic spoken about in, in, in the Psalms, God's steadfast love. And in the midst of the circumstance that we find ourselves in, where things are difficult and hard and we don't know what's going on and we're crying out and he's not answering, what's going to bring us comfort, what's going to keep us pressing on is remembering that his love for us is fixed and certain, will not be moved and will not be shaken. So, don't give up on God. Turn your sorrows into prayer and praise. Okay, then finally, and this is very short we wait for God. Now, I don't even have a verse for this because this is where the psalm leaves us. Um, It leaves us waiting. And as Christians, we have to get used to waiting patiently upon God, upon His timing, upon His ways, um, knowing that we don't always get the answers that we want, and sometimes we seemingly don't get any answers at all. We have to wait on God, we have to, and that waiting expresses our trust and our, our love for Him maybe you're in that situation now where you really need an answer for god but he he isn't speaking it seems and you're waiting maybe there's just a um, a, a trouble in your life or a sin that's a persistent sin and you want victory over or maybe it's to do with what to do next with your life and again it seems like god He's not making it crystal clear to you what he wants you to do. Well, sometimes God wants us to wait, because in the midst of waiting, it grows character. We persevere. We have faith. It produces a character in our life. Um, And so we wait for him. So when we experience the mysterious suffering in the midst of, serving in the kingdom of god let us take advantage of the freedom that god has given us to be honest with the realities let's remember firstly the truth of what god has done let's remind ourselves of the faith that we have in god then let us turn our feelings and our express our troubles to god express our distress let's not hold back and just, you know, and, and, and try to press down and suppress it as if there's something shameful about, about the emotions that are going inside our hearts. Then let's also cry out to God. Let's not give up on God. Let's be persistent like the widow, saying, Lord, would you hear our prayers? Would you answer us? Would you show us what is true and what is right? And then we wait. We wait for God patiently knowing that he is good that he's glorious that he's gracious and he's great let's just bow our heads in prayer heavenly father we thank you for this psalm it's different than many other psalms where the psalmist is writing after he has the answer to his prayer and father many of us are in this situation now where there are things where we do not have the answer for and even our situation in our world at this time, there is no answer. We do not know, why has this virus come? We can only guess and hypothesize. And so we are perplexed, we are puzzled. Why have you not spoken? Why have you not given clarity on what you are doing? But then we remember, you are good. You've always been good. You've been good in the past and you've kept your promises. We've experienced your goodness and you've kept your promises to us. But Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers of distress and struggle. Hear hear our prayers for you to answer us. And Lord, when we don't strengthen us to continue to put our trust in you, that we know that you are faithful and good and your steadfast love is fixed upon us we ask this in your name amen amen